welcome to the 298th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. Hope you had a nice holiday. I am getting ready to head out to Utah to Zion State Park, where I'll run the 50K, the Zion 50K this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Be my first 50K for over a year, thanks to COVID. So it's uh, looking forward to seeing how that feels. I hope that I did not peak too early. I felt really good at the Treasure Coast Marathon. Felt like I had more miles in me that day. So I'm not sure if I have more miles in me left or not, but we'll see. Should be beautiful weather. I think the temperatures are forecast for sunny skies, 44 to 78 degrees. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, It'll be a little bit interesting to have some cool, dry air in the morning and then uh, get a little hot, but all should work out. I am planning to wear a vest with water and carry some gels, cliff gels. Um, I like a mocha, raspberry, some Huma gels, uh, probably do a couple bars and um, that are made usually with, you know, limited ingredients and we'll see what else happens while we're out there but uh that's that's how it's gonna that's how we're gonna roll so i'm looking forward to that it's springtime in florida and getting the garden in got that in this weekend uh, planted some eggplant and peppers sage rosemary and thyme just like the song c- cucumbers and tomatoes uh, we've got some basil. Lettuce is actually starting to come up, even though I planted it last Friday, so I'm excited about that. Planted some beans. Our mango trees are looking good. We have about four or five of those that are uh, have little mangoes on them, so it's fun to go out every day and watch the growth there. Papaya trees are still hanging in, so that's a constant supply of fruit from the backyard. It always makes it nice. So in this episode, I want to talk about sitting down as opposed to standing up. Um, even though this month in our member practice, we are doing a step challenge, which you have to stand up for. I want to talk about sitting today. I want to talk about times that we should sit and take a break. Last week we talked, uh, I talked a little bit about sleep and how people may sleep more than they think they sleep, but they may have trouble going to sleep because there's so many things going through their mind. And if we just took time to sit in a chair and not have any social media on or the TV on or read a book, you know, chances are we would get bored and fall asleep. But something about laying down, you get your mind all raveled up and you start thinking about a million different things and and you can't sleep. So I challenge people to take some time and just, you know, lay there and relax and see how how you feel. And, you know, again, the equivalent of just sitting in a chair and just letting the, the, the thoughts come in and the thoughts go out, but not concentrating on any one thing at a time. But the thing that I wanted to talk to you about today as far as sitting is sitting down to eat. I think we've lost the art of eating. You know, I was driving home for lunch today where I sit down at a table and eat. And I looked out of my window and I saw someone 
you know, guzzling a soda and eating lunch in their car as they drove. And I think a lot of people, um, maybe more so before COVID, but a lot of people don't take time to eat a meal. They just grab something and they say they're not hungry. So they just grab something and don't really eat. And they keep grabbing something all day long and they don't count that as calories and they wonder why they're not losing weight and they can't figure out why their glucoses are still elevated. But the reality of it is that they never gave their body a rest from the process of digestion. When we eat, we have to increase the blood flow to our gut, the blood vessels that go to our stomach and our intestines. If you're moving, you're generating more sympathetic activity, sympathetic tone to move and to get your heart rate up and to keep your blood pressure up from dropping because when you sit down, your blood vessels don't have to contract to get blood flow to your head. So, But when you're standing, you have to have your blood vessels have to contract. If you're continuously moving, your heart rate is higher than it is at rest. And so you are moved more on that line of increased sympathetic tone. Increased sympathetic tone from our autonomic nervous system, increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, and decreased digestion. We also tend to blow off more carbon dioxide in that process. When you're eating and walking, your mouth is open, you're blowing off more carbon dioxide, so hence you release less oxygen to your tissues. And so it lends itself to more of a carbohydrate-driven metabolism, burning off our carbohydrate stores as opposed to burning off our fat stores. So if you think about... Um, you know, if you eat a plant-based diet, it's more along the way of a 75 to 80% carbohydrate diet and a 10% protein and a 15, 10 to 15% fat diet, somewhere around that. If you're really eating a healthy plant-based diet, if you're eating a standard American diet, it may be up to 35, 40, 45% fat, uh, and, and probably 30% protein and the rest carbohydrates. So if you're standing to eat, you're blowing off more carbon dioxide, you're delivering less oxygen to your tissues, you're also going to burn more of your carbohydrates off. So basically what you're eating, you're just burning off that stores of carbohydrates. So we store about 2,000 calories in our muscles and about 200 calories in our liver of carbohydrates. So you're really burning those off. You have more than enough to sustain activities of daily living while you stand and eat and graze all day long. So not only if you're just grazing and walking around do you burn less fat, but you're also burning off those carbohydrate stores. Your blood pressure is elevated, your sympathetic tone is elevated, and you're stressing your body because now you're having to pump blood to your digestive system all day long as well as your skeletal muscles and to, make you to be able to stand up and to, and to ambulate and to do things. If you're sitting in a car eating, you're sitting, but you're not concentrating on your eating. You're eating and doing something else. So you have no idea what's being stuffed in your mouth at a rapid rate usually. And most people aren't going to eat a salad in the car or soup in the car. They're eating some sort of fast food that is going to be consistent with a high-fat, high-salt 
perhaps high sugar diet. So my thought is to have people sit down with a plate and be conscious of what meal that they are actually having for lunch. It could be that you're having leftovers from the night before or a couple days before. That way you could prepare that plate just like you would if you're preparing that plate for your dinner. So you're going to present it the same exact way. If you work at an office, you can bring a plate with you, or if you bring a salad to work, you can present that in a nice bowl uh, and, and eat that salad while you're sitting down and actually paying attention to what you're doing so that you're conscious of what you've actually eaten. You're taking time to let your heart rate come down, and you're going to eat enough that you're full, and you can have a piece of fruit afterwards so that you're not hungry in an hour and you're not looking for things to eat and graze all afternoon. Takes a little bit of planning, but the end result is a better, more well-balanced plate because you can actually see there and you know, see what you're eating and take an opportunity to check the boxes. Am I getting a nutrient-dense lunch that provides me with enough different colors, enough different variety that I'll be okay until dinner time. There's no reason not to have time to do that because the reality of it is it can be prepped for the most part, warm it up, eat, sit there with your plate, enjoy that, focus on what you're eating, and then go on about the rest of your day. It takes a little bit of planning. Again, the night before is, an, is a nice time to think about what you're going to have for lunch and prepare it. So if you're cleaning up the kitchen or you're making dinner and you like leftovers, make enough that you can have for lunch the next day. If you like the concept of a sandwich, I think Dr. Esselstyn always had a great idea. He would take his leftovers in a pita pocket and he would wrap that up and he would eat that between his surgical cases. If you're a golfer, that's another idea that people can stop between nines and eat. But again, I don't advocate eating and playing golf at the same time. You're either going to do an activity where you increase sympathetic tone and you let your heart focus on your muscles and your blood flow to your muscles, or you can eat and let your and you let your body digest and then go about your business. If you have heart disease, you're better off exercising on an empty stomach or a very light meal. So I always advocate for my patients to go exercise or do their walk before they have anything to eat in the morning. If you're a diabetic, you should check your glucose before and make sure that you're hydrated. But unless, if you're an insulin-dependent diabetic, then you know that changes things a little bit if your glucose is prone to drop with exercise. But adult-onset diabetes, chances are, the glucose is elevated in the morning and you're better off going to exercise before you eat. And again, you're exercising, you're directing your blood flow to your muscles, not to your stomach. If you're an adult onset diabetic and you eat and then go right out to exercise, your pancreas will put out way more insulin than it needs. So you'll have this high spike in insulin when you get this high spike in glucose after you eat. And then when you start exercising, all of a sudden the glucose will be taken up into your tissues 
and your glucose may drop and you could feel really bad. If you have cardiovascular disease and you eat and you go and exercise, then again, you're directing more blood flow has to go to your gut than to your legs, or it has to go to your gut and your legs at the same time, and you put more stress and strain on your heart, a higher heart rate, more chance of having chest pain and or a heart attack. So if you want to, you know, it's a mini stress test to eat and then go exercise if you have cardiovascular disease. Eating in the middle of the night, if you get up and you can't sleep, is a recipe for disaster because you already have increased sympathetic tone, increased cortisol levels, and now you're going to stress your, your heart and your body more by adding a glucose or a fat load to your system and try to sleep. So it's a recipe for disaster. No one ever died overnight. You know, Dr. Gold, Goldhammer fast people, water fast for 40 days. Um, so you don't have to worry about your glucose going down at night. If anything, it's a great time to let your body rest in all aspects. So, you, you know, people are so worried about going to sleep and not getting their mind time to rest. What about their gut time to rest? So it's a perfect time to shut the kitchen door, not go back into the kitchen, go to sleep, and stay there all night and not eat anything until the next morning after you've done your morning exercise. Taking time to have meal time, I think, is very important. I, I disagree with intermittent fasting and some of these things that throw people's schedules off. I think that you're better off to have meal times and be consistent, and your body has a has time to recover. If you skip a meal and then you eat a high calorie meal, it's again harder to digest, takes longer, diverts more blood flow. So, eating three fairly consistent meals a day is really a better way to go, in my opinion. It. You know, people say they're not hungry or they're skipping meals. Uh, I've never seen it work. I have members that try not to eat all day, and then they eat all evening long. I have members that try to study for their appointment where they don't eat for, um, you know, the evening after, uh, and, and they, you know, try to decrease, decrease their intake the day before, and then they end up eating more or they end up having a problem with their blood pressure or their glucose. So be consistent and get yourself on a schedule. So you want to be on a sleep schedule and on an eating schedule for the most part. That way your body has time to digest and you let it and you can let it rest. You need digestive rest time just like you need digestive sleep time. And the other thing, as far as sitting goes, it comes to dinner time. I think that people need to sit down and eat dinner, preferably together if you live with someone, if you have a family. Kids need to know how to take a time out, how to put the cell phones down, how to have a conversation. With COVID and people being isolated, there couldn't be a better time than to actually have a sit-down dinner with your family and make it special. So that means having a, you know, setting a table, having plates, real plates, not paper plates, but real plates, silverware, set the table, a napkin, and serve the food and make it 
look, look good on a plate, like you were serving somebody that was coming over for dinner, you know, like you would like to get if you were at a nice restaurant. Taking pride in what you eat and looking at it as the first, the first part of digestion and enjoying your meal, knowing what you're eating and savoring it. So many people don't know where their food comes from. They don't, you know, people, I, I, I heard today somebody, an adult had Fruit Loops and Hungry Man Chicken Dinner. Where does that possibly come from? How could that possibly nourish one's body? It's a, it's a crime, but most cereals are genetically modified, high fructose corn syrup. There's nothing nutritious other than some synthetic vitamins thrown on top to make people think that that's okay. And then they want their kids to perform at school. They can survive, but they're not going to thrive on you know, such a breakfast. Neither can adults. So learning where your food comes from, I think, is extremely important. And eating as local as you possibly can is also extremely important. You know, one thing about having a backyard garden is the pride you can take by seeing where the, you know, raising some tomatoes, raising some herbs. There's nothing I like better than to go outside and get my oregano and my basil and my thyme or my dill for my salad. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it makes things so much more flavorful. You know, I look forward to being able to go out and pick tomatoes. I like to go to my tower garden and pick the kale off of there. Um, I think there's nothing more um, satisfying than to know that you had a hand in your food production and and you appreciate it more. The very least you can do is take time to realize, you know, where did your food come from? Did it come from Peru, Mexico, California? Did it come from a local farm? Was it raised organically? What does that even mean? Is it truly organic? Would have, you know, what, what does that, was the soil good? What, where was it from? Was it a monocrop? Um, I think it's really important to know, you know, to take pride in that because to know where your nutrients coming from. Even if we're eating a plant-based diet mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of pesticides on the food or it comes from soils that, you know, were depleted, we might not be getting the nutrients that we once thought we were getting. So it's, you know, it's, it's nice to take time to, to think of that. Again, I think people would be a lot less likely to consume the amount of meat that they consume if they knew where it was coming from. You know, people, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, today we were running and we were talking about, you know, the slaughtering of animals and, you know, um, that there's really no humane way of killing anything. It's still killing. Um, I, I admit fully that there is a food chain. You know, carnivores, cats, uh, dogs are, are carnivores. They, they eat meat. They participate in the, in the food chain. You know, whales eat smaller fit, food, fish. That's a food chain. So that does happen. Typically, when animals kill another animal, they eat the whole thing. They don't waste it. And if you're eating, you know, um, giant slabs of meat, where did that actually come from? Um, what's the quality of it? If this animal was raised on a feedlot and it had to be injected with vitamins and antibiotics or, you know, um, it was caught 
you know, miles away and frozen in waters that or was fished in a, you know, a, uh, a factory farm and given food that it normally wouldn't eat. What's the quality of that food? Is it worth, worth it to have that? And you better believe that when you're eating out, you're not going to get the quality of fruits and vegetables and meat. There's no way to check. Um, there are a few restaurants that'll, you know, talk about farm to table, but they're few and far between. And, you know, chances are you're going to get what's ever the cheapest and the, and the you know, the easiest uh, to prepare. And covering covered, that's covered up with a bunch of oil and salt. If you've ever done any cooking, the easiest way to cover up bad food is to put a bunch of oil on it or salt on it or some other condiment, you know, barbecue sauce on everything. That's why people eat bad meat and they use A1 steak sauce. They just take, taste the A1 steak sauce. They're not tasting the meat. So good produce doesn't need a lot of goopy sauces on it because the vegetable itself tastes good. So knowing where your food comes from is it's, it's very important. But I think taking time to appreciate yourself and to appreciate your family, making them a meal and sitting down at the table and, again, discussing where it came from, how you made it, is very important rather than just gobbling some food down and going on about your business or not even paying attention to it because it leads to a lot of excessive calorie intake, less communication among family members, decreased digestion and it doesn't do anything to the, the you know to the well-being and peace of a family so sitting down to eat sitting down to talk and sitting down to quiet your mind all those activities don't take all that long of time three hours would be the max for all of those things but you know um the reality of it is we spend a lot more sitting either in front of a TV or a desk or a computer in a car uh, and, and are very, very distracted. So if you take a little bit of time to do each of those things, I think you'll find yourself more productive with the other things that you actually do. Gatorade makes a sweat patch and it is to tell the athlete how much basically Gatorade or salt or other products that the Gatorade company makes they should consume. The reality of it is, even with my 50K, I'm not worried about taking sodium in. And there's been a lot of studies done that show that you can't store up extra fluid and store up extra salt and improve your performance. We're not a camel. We don't have extra places to put water Eating a high salt diet leads to actually sweating out more salt, not less. When you try to take in more salt while you're exercising and you have decreased blood flow to your gut because most of your blood flow is going to your skeletal muscle system, it actually draws fluid into the gut where you can actually become boggy and start to cramp. Uh, because your stomach is full of water and gets sick and bloated. And then actually you can even have a diarrhea episode. So the reality of it is most athletic events 
don't require somebody measuring their salt or sweat loss. It's not going to be that much of a difference. And even if it was an excess of sodium, if you're a heavy sweater, you always lose more water than salt. And typically that is because you lose intra, the, the metabolism, when you metabolize carbohydrates, you're actually letting go of cellular water, not intravascular water. So even if you didn't take in anything to drink and you lost four or five pounds, most of that came from cellular metabolism and not your blood volume. So people aren't going to just pass out and fall over um, with regular hour, two hour you know, episodes of activities because of electrolyte. They've never tied muscle cramping to electrolytes at all. So there's, you know, so Gatorade sweat patches are really uh, a way to sell more Gatorade. So don't kind of get sucked into thinking that you're that special person that sweats differently and loses electrolytes different from other humans. You'll be just fine drinking water. And again, typically I'll replace calories after, you know, an hour and a half uh, of activity. I'll start to look for a calorie source. The last thing I'm going to harp on tonight in this kind of shorter podcast, and, and I do apologize, this podcast um, is one that's going to replace the podcast that will be next week, then I'm going to actually speak with a gardener uh, and, a, and a person that does microgreens and a soil, uh, she rejuvenates soil. It'll be an interesting podcast. We had a little uh, snitch um, on my part that uh, caused me not to air that podcast this week. But the last thing I wanted to talk about was I can't. And um, I've, I've been really disappointed with my colleagues over the past years. And I, sometimes I feel like I spend a lot of time protecting people from unnecessary procedures and unnecessary tests. And, I, you know, I always try to inform people that what are you going to do with the test results? You know, what are you going to su- subject yourself to that uh, may have risk to it, but not really any benefits, and it may not change the outcome, or it may not change what you were going to do anyway. So if radiation's involved, you want to think about, you know, do I really need this or not? But a couple of things that, that have come up is, you know, in the, in the realm of orthopedics, um, sometimes we want things fixed fast, and really a slower method might be good. And you know, you hear a lot of people talking about, um, you know, you've got bone on bone and we can only replace, you know, you need a replacement of your joint. Um, and even when you get this, you're done. You know, you've had a joint replacement. You'll never run again. You'll never have the same mobility that you had again. Or you've had an accident and don't expect to ever be the same again. You're always going to suffer from arthritis. You're always going to suffer from this and your knee doesn't bend and you shouldn't try to bend it because you're just going to make it worse. And the question I would ask, what is worse? Um, One, I think we have to give our time, ourselves time to heal. And, you know, there's a time to move and there's a time to rest and there's a time to move easy. And there's probably that gray area where, you know, you need to work with a good physical therapist to see whether or not, you know, um, how much rest is needed, how much easy movement is needed, how to best protect uh, an area. But I think it's really unfair to say you can't. Um, And I think sometimes doctors say you can't or you won't so that the bar is low enough that when you can, you think, well, I, you know, I fooled that guy or I did something that, you know, they said I couldn't, but I can. Um, 
Unfortunately, a lot of people hear I can't and they stay I can't and they won't and they don't. And I really do think it's, a, it's more of along the line that the bar is set low so that people don't get their expectations high. And, and orthopedics is one of the areas where I think people take hope away more than any other area. You know, if a cancer, if an oncologist said, geez, you know, we're going to give you this therapy, but uh, chances are you're going to die, it, you wouldn't have much hope to doing something. But an orthopedic person can say, well, you're not going to ever run again, and we just accept this limitation, you know. Um, and I, I, I think that, um, again, they're setting the bar very low, and I think as an individual, um, you need to challenge that and, and look at the data. And a lot of times I think, you know, if again, if you set the bar low, what, you know, are the studies done so that you set the bar low and if people never try, is that why? But more often than not, there's somebody that's overcome something. All you got to do is go to a marathon or an endurance event. You see somebody without legs that are running on their prosthesis or you see somebody with a joint replacement that's running. You know, I had Dr. Kukazella on the, on the podcast and brought up a very good point that if you have a joint replacement, the best way to, to solidify that joint into, you know, that cement is to actually grow bone around it. And the best way to do that is weight-bearing exercise. We know the best treatment for osteoporosis is weight-bearing exercise, yet we tell people not to do that or we limit people's ability to do that or make them afraid to do that. We think that you have decrease of range of motion. You, you know, you hurt your knee when you were 25, so you can't run when you're 50. Uh, there's, there's no reason for any of that. There's no reason to not make a comeback. And, and I really haven't seen much in the way of people that can't make some sort of a comeback. Um, they might not have the collegiate performance that they once had, but there's no reason why they can't make a comeback and be very active. So I think you need to hold your doctor's feet to the fire. Uh, and, you know, you got to help me through this. And if you don't have hope that I'm going to be able to get better, then let's find me somebody that does. And more often than not, it's not a procedure that's going to make the difference. It's what's done after that you actually have to participate in. And, and isn't it funny that the best way to health is when you actually participate? It's when you cook your own food, when you grow your own food, when you cook your own food, when you take charge of your own food. And when you take charge of your own health and you ask questions and you take charge of your own rehab and your own exercise and your own plan. So when you put your head in the sand, chances are you're not going to have near as good an outcome for any of this stuff. But more often than not, it's not quick. It's something that takes time. And again, it comes back to taking time, sitting down and thinking, sitting, taking some time to realize that the process is not linear. There are good days and bad days but to keep plowing ahead and that there is time and there is hope. Uh, and there always is time to do a little bit more and to change uh, no matter, you know, what part of your life you're in. I always love it when I have, you know, people in their 80s that come in and they're increasing their exercise and doing things that they couldn't do before. And quite frankly, those people tend to have a little bit more oomph about them than younger people where they just say, oh, I can't. So can't is not really a word that you need to use. And if your surgeon or your orthopedic or your doctor says can't, um, I think you need to find another doctor. I think when we as physicians are focused on procedures or seeing 40 people a day, there's not time enough evolved to actually get to know somebody. 
and to know what their goals and aspirations are and uh, what they expect and potential outcomes and to actually explain risks versus benefits on different procedures, taking it slow, moving it fast, what a medicine actually does and doesn't do, the risk of it short-term and long-term. Um, you know, and again, as physicians, we're led by the nose by pharmaceutical companies and, and the powers that be, um, see more patients, write more medications, give more vaccinations, um, all for the greater good. But the reality of it is when I go into a room, the only person that matters is that person that's in the room. I'm not looking for the greater good of how is the treatment of one person going to affect 10,000 persons. I'm looking at the how is treating this one person going to affect their life, their goals, and their aspirations. So when you're in the room, you deserve to be the center of attention with your healthcare provider. Um, and you deserve the time that you need and you deserve to be able to ask questions and you need to be given hope. Uh, and, and you need to have assistance in helping you to make the right decision. People don't need to dictate what your decision is. They need to educate you so that you can make the right decision. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast. Um, I'll look forward to talking to you about uh, the race over this next weekend and uh, the food I find in Utah. I'm sure it'll be fun and exciting. So go out and get some plants or plant some seeds and uh, start growing a little bit of food or herbs in your backyard. And I hope you look forward to next week learning to how to maybe up your game in the backyard garden. So until next time, get some sun, get out and get some good microbes, eat plants strong. (laughs) 